Well, hello there. This is a, a little bit of an update. Ralph and I have been working hard on our implicit bias training course, and we're thinking of launching it next Tuesday or Wednesday. So uh, keep your eye on Facebook, and we'll let you know when the course um, uh, is available. And uh, no, we're not going to talk about implicit bias today, but we're going to talk about something that is coming up here in the mental health field, and that is a lot of anxiety uh, over, of all things, you know, the news and what's happening in the world. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, is particular in this kind of anxiety, I mean, adults are anxious, but we more or less know how to deal with our anxieties. Uh, but anxieties in elementary and secondary school kids uh, are increasingly a problem. Yeah, kids are feeling uh, isolated. Uh, they sometimes don't feel like they've got somebody to talk to, and uh, uh, they feel you know, worried about situations. For example, I'd feel worried about if I were a kid, I think, about the news I hear from... Uh, Israel and Gaza, the atrocities being committed on both sides. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, the problem with that is that if you go as a kid and you say uh, to your parent, uh, one parent or the other or both, uh, you say, you know, I, uh, I was watching the news and what's coming out of uh, the Mideast is, is terrible and what, is there anything that we could do, or is there anything? And the kid is basically expressing angst and uh, uncertainty and anxiety. Yeah, and I think it's important to, for the parent to respond in some way that's appropriate. Uh, if the parent says, oh, don't worry about it, you know, Jimmy, that can't happen here, well, Jimmy can think that, well, not far from here, you know, here being Mount Pleasant, there was some atrocity committed in a, uh, a high school, yeah. you know, not too long ago. So it can happen here. You know, no, we're probably not going to get uh, uh, bombs dropped on us, right, Ralph? Probably not. But other things can get dropped on us as well. So saying to uh, Jimmy, you know, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, probably engages the kid more to, to worry, right? Yeah, yeah. because, uh, you know, as soon as you get told as a, as a kid not to do something, you're going to do it more. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Don't think the, about that elephant in the room, right? Yeah, right, and that was, uh, that was certainly my reaction, you know. Mm -hmm. No, you can't bring home a bucket of garter snakes. So, oh, in that case, I'll bring home two buckets. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, I mean, you told me I couldn't bring home a bucket, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Here, here are two. Here are two. So, so the, acknowledging, you know, the parent acknowledging the fact that the kid does have some anxiety, and not downplaying the kid's anxiety. I mean, what you want to do is uh, is listen. Right? Yeah. In uh, in our implicit bias course, we talk about deep listening. Well, that's making eye contact with the kid, being present with the kid, picking up the nonverbal cues with the kid, and then listening intently to the story that the child is telling. Whether or not you think there's going to be a a, a rocket, you know, hitting your house in the next 
uh, day really is not important. It's important to let the child talk about what he or she is feeling. Remember, can you remember growing up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ralph? Oh, yes. In and the 1950s? And uh, I remember the drill that we had, which was uh, the uh, nuclear attack uh, drill. Right. Now, why did we have a nuclear attack drill in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario? Well, there was some strategic importance to that area. The Sioux locks were there. A major Algoma steel plant was there. And so it was thought of as a potential target. Yeah, and... Uh, the enemy was Russia, right, or the right. Soviet Union. Soviet Union, and and we, uh, you know, the nuclear attack drill uh, was basically... Uh, going, take, to, going to your desk. Yeah, take your, uh, take your desk, uh, crouch under it, and that might have helped in terms of broken windows, uh, and keeping you free of shards of glass, but it wasn't going to do very much for the uh, nuclear blast and uh, radiation. Yeah, right. Uh, but it was interesting. Did you ever uh, take part in that drill? Did you ever get down under the... Your oh, desk? yeah. I, I, Did it make you feel secure? No. Oh, okay. I, I can't remember doing it one way or the other, but the idea is it was something. It okay. was something you could do, yeah. yeah. Now, the the interesting thing is after they did that, uh, and that was, I think, in sixth grade, by seventh grade, they had a better system. They took us all down to the basements of the schools. Okay. Now, that's, that's if your school has a basement. Yeah. I, I remember Alec Muir School and did have a basement. Yeah, yeah. so you went down and uh, sat around the walls, Mm -hmm. uh, the outer walls, and, uh, you know, that would uh, hopefully protect you from uh, from blast better than... Uh, under your desk. Under your desk. Yeah. Now, the problem is that we know now that uh, blast tends to uh, collapse things inwardly, uh, so what happens is basically in a brick building like a school, the... Uh, the bricks fall down into the center. Yeah, and you know, crush you. But yeah. yeah. So basically, nothing is is uh, very effective if you're in the epicenter of the nuclear blast. Yeah, but um, you know, we at least uh, were able to probably acknowledge the fact that yeah, maybe something could happen. Now, our teachers never downplayed it. They never said, "Oh no, it won't happen here." But they also said that the probability of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, or Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, getting hit was probably pretty low. You know, we, yeah. we were not that much of a strategic target. And so being able to talk about these things and think about them, I think, helped kids. Uh, now kids don't, aren't getting uh, uh, nuclear attack protocols. They're getting protocols for... Um, school shootings, right? Yeah, or, you know, even something then you say, well, this is, you know, school shooting, yeah, that's a, that's a big one, but uh, school bullying. Yeah, so bullying ha uh, happens, shooting happens, and kids are bombarded with media. Uh, one of the, under Learn More, one of the, the things that is up there is a 
family talking about uh, their kids' use of, of media, uh, particularly television. And something that's interesting is that uh, the parents acknowledge that they have television sets in every room and in the car as well. So the kids can't get away from uh, uh, the impact of stuff that we hear or see 24-7. Yeah, and... And remember that the stuff that is on the news fits in that old category, right, Ralph? If it, if it bleeds, it, it leads. leads. Yeah, so... And the thing is, you know, the, the, uh, the number of school shootings is really not up over the last 10 years. But the media furor is dramatically increased. Right. So a, a kid hears about, oh, down in Detroit there was this one kid who went in and uh, shot four people. That doesn't, you know, it's not a blip that comes up and and is, oh, it's it was there and then it's over. No, this this goes on for two three weeks. Right, I think I mentioned in one of our uh, recent uh, podcasts that uh, I was down in the Detroit area and I turned on television in my uh, motel room or hotel room at six in the morning. I was interested in. Uh, uh, finding out what the weather for the day was going to be like, it would be like, and I heard, I don't know, ha half an hour or so of, if it bleeds, it leads kinds of stories from not just the Detroit area, but as far away as Santa Barbara or San Diego, California, where some, I don't know, there's some story about a woman trying to poison her husband, but it was continual, uh, and uh, I think I mentioned it to you that that bummed me out. It, 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 um, yeah, it, it affects it, your whole day. Yeah, um, and, and then the, the research says that 10 minutes of negative news first thing in the morning will take eight hours to kind of di get disinfected. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know, one of the things that uh, you look at what adult reaction is to some of these problems, and uh, there was a, an interesting thing uh, that I ran into. Uh, a guy was talking with his uh, elementary school principal for his son, uh, and the guy said, uh, well, if there's a school shooter happens in uh, this school and it's not in my son's room, I want the teacher to lock the door and my son will throw a chair through the window, and the principal was aghast. You're encouraging your son to destroy school property? <laughs> um, yeah, you told me that story, and I was trying to think of a response that the parent could have had. I think I would have said to the principal, okay, we'll pay for the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd sooner pay for the window than have you know some dead kid so, you know, uh, the kids escape through the window and... Um... But it's interesting that the, apparently the dad and the kid have talked about this. And uh, is, it, is that a good thing to do, to talk about it? Or should we just say to the kid, oh, it's not going to happen, don't worry about it. Well, I suppose you have to make some plans for worst-case scenarios, right? Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, if... Uh, if you have a plan, um, arbitrarily, let's say, uh, 
you're driving along the highway and uh, you see two vehicles who have had a significant crash, not a fender bender, but uh, these are people who have been very damaged by an auto crash. If you have a plan that says, okay, I have a, a medical kit in my car, or I know how to improvise a tourniquet out of a boot lace or shoelace, uh, or I can do X, uh, it's a lot better than saying, oh dear, and driving by. You know, mm -hmm. um, so having a plan is important because, you know, whatever, plan for the worst, hope for the best. Okay. So that's one thing. That, that's an example of a parent um, having talked to the child and having made a plan. And, yeah, when you uh, have plans, even, even if the plans are not the best in the whole wide world, it probably uh, reduces your anxiety level. And the fact that you're, you're talking to your parent or your parent is talking to you, the kid, um, uh, decreases the isolation. I remember oh, back a couple of years ago now when we had a lot of unrest here in the U.S. and the, um, uh, well, we, we heard a lot about Black Lives Mattering. Um, now, um, we looked at places like Portland, Oregon, uh, and saw you know massive protests. So I asked the students that I work with, the kids in the in the uh, uh, psychology clinic that I work in, said, "Do you talk about things like um, uh, racial in inequity and uh, um, uh, riots and Black Lives Matter?" And they, they um, to a person, said, "No." We can't do. We can't talk about that in school. We're not permitted to talk about it. Okay. So, you know, I suppose they might. Teachers might feel that they're not adequately prepared to talk about things happening, you know, half a continent away. But uh, the kids are thinking about it. You know, they they know what's going on at some level. Yeah, um, and so you think, well, here we are in the middle part of Michigan. 80% of the population lives south of us, 20% of the population lives north of us. We're, we're right on the dividing line. So are we going to have a mass protest riot in our town? Probably not. The odds are pretty much against it. Mm -hmm. But is one going to happen in Detroit? Well, it happened in 1967. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, is it going to happen again? Maybe. But Would my parents take me to Detroit at some point? Maybe we could go down and see the uh, the art museum or whatever. The Lions playing football. Lions playing football, and when yeah. I'm there, might a, a riot happen? Well, maybe not, yeah. but maybe. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, the kids were telling me that they didn't have any kind of an outlet to um, uh, sound their anxieties off of uh, with a, a supposedly intelligent, mature, and caring adult. You know, so it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, and you know, the thing is, uh, Jim and I were talking about this earlier, and I mean, the kids who are anxious, where do they, where do they talk about things if they can't talk about them at home or at school? 
they talk about them with to each other in the playground. And what happens is a lot of things get passed, uh, uh, misinformation gets passed, or anxiety increases because you get two people who are very anxious and they talk to each other. Do they get less anxious? No, Probably they, not. Yeah. They get more anxious. Right. So having an adult to talk to um, on a regular basis, you know, I uh, would not put down talking to a counselor if I were a kid um, or if I had a kid who was in school. But, you know, it's kind of hard to uh, uh, get into the counselor's office. You know, the counselor has 200 kids on his or her caseload. So if you had a teacher who could actually listen to the anxieties and concerns of kids, that would be a good thing. So Yeah. Um, now that would probably end up being compartmentalized. Maybe only the gym teacher could do it, or maybe only the social studies teacher could do it. I don't know. I, yeah. I would say, you know, that talking about current events should be pretty much available to kids in any classroom. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that a lot of kids have said to me is that the, the most attentive adult that they have in school in terms of listening to their stresses and anxieties is one of the coaches. Okay. Now, in, in our school, in our uh, elementary school, remember that's the school where we were t taken downstairs and we had to sit and wait for the bricks to come and fall on our head? Remember right. that one? Okay. I remember that yeah, one. The, the custodian was the person who was most amenable to sitting down and talking to us. Tom's, Tom Doglish's dad. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah. and uh, he was... Uh, he was full of very practical wisdom, like, mm -hmm. you know, no, nah, it's probably not going to happen, but, you know, it could, but, yeah. you know. But at least he would listen to us. Yeah. Yeah, and not discount what we were thinking or what, what we were feeling. And that's, I think, the essence of deep listening. And we didn't know it at the time, but he gave us eye contact. He was present with us. He acknowledged what was going on and what we said. Well, I think that's what we would really encourage the adults in kids' lives to do that. You know, don't think about, first of all, sending your kid to uh, see Jim at the mental health clinic. Now, sit down and listen to what uh, Jimmy or Ralphie or Billy or Sarah is saying and acknowledge that uh, they're concerned about it. Yeah. And uh, if, if you start with... Uh, Yes, well, things could be worse because in my day, yada, yada, whatever it is, uh, the kid immediately is going to turn you, tune you out Yeah. because it's obvious that you have not heard his or her angst. Yeah, and the, the thing is, I guess, that you listen to the kid and, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that a lot of uh, people I've talked to have said about listening to their kids is, well, I don't know what to say to them. And the answer is you don't have to say very much. You don't have to have magnificent, wonderful advice that will take away all their anxieties. What you have to do is listen and say, you know, yeah, I, I hear your problem. I hear your, your frustration and, uh, and maybe say, 
how can we help, how can I help you to solve this problem? Mm-hmm. You know, just and listen to what they say. Yeah. Well, that word of good advice, Ralph, I think we'll bid adieu for this time um, to our listeners. And take a look at what we've posted down below under Learn More. Till next time, this is Jim. And Ralph. Saying keep your stick on the ice. Because we're all in this together. together.